God's word, Acts chapter three. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. At three in the afternoon, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with him, with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the men held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished, and they came running uh, to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disavowed the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who had been appointed for you, even Jesus." Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise you up, raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are the heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers, he said to Abraham. Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Hey, what's up, South Point? My name's Kenny. We're glad you guys are here for week three of this empowered series. I'm glad you're fired up because Kenny's preaching on Acts. We're going to get going here today. I love this series on the first eight chapters of Book of Acts because it allows us to see where the church was born, right? The Book of Acts describes what the church is supposed to be like, and we as a church are supposed to do everything we can to try to be as close to that as possible. Man, if you're new here, you picked a great time to come. We hope you guys will stick around and enjoy yourselves at least till after this series. I mean, we'd like you to stick around forever, but you've got to start somewhere, right? <laughs> We've all had different experiences in church. Some of those have been good experiences. Some of them have been bad, right? We all know what... what you, the book of Acts tells us what God's original plan was for the church, what it was supposed to look like, right? And that we're supposed to pursue that. We've all had these experiences. Some of them are good, some of them are bad, but the bad experiences have really hurt us. 
There's a lot of churches who are not what the book of Acts actually depicts. If you missed the first two messages, I just encourage you to go back and check those out. You can either watch them online or you can check out, listen to them on the podcast. In this series, what we've learned is that the, the early church was empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. See, when Jesus left the 12 apostles, he didn't just leave them physically. He, left, he didn't leave them empty-handed. He told them where he was going. He told them what he was doing. But he also told them he was going to send them this gift. This gift was going to allow them to do even greater things that they'd seen him, done, him do. Remember the apostles, they, they all saw Jesus die, right? They all saw the resurrected Jesus. They literally saw him after he was dead, and now he's alive. Last week we see in chapter 2 how the apostles, they get the gift of the Holy Spirit, and for the first time they go out and they start preaching the gospel of Jesus. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and literally thousands of people come forward, and they get saved, and they get baptized, and a church is born. And the next six chapters record what happens after this. Chapter 3 starts out real simple. It's Peter and John. They're going to the temple to pray, right? Something that they've probably done a million times in the past. And they saw a beggar who was unable to walk, and he was laying outside the temple. And the Bible says that everybody knew this beggar, right? He'd been begging there every single day for years. And my guess is that Peter and John had seen this guy before. They probably knew him, or at least knew of him. We've all seen beggars. But what do we do when that happens? What typically happens? Most people don't even notice, or they do what they can to not make eye contact because it makes them feel uncomfortable, right? But Peter and John, they do something real different. They do something that very few people ever did. They looked this man straight in the eye, and they asked him to look at them. And he was probably used to laying there with people never saying anything to him, maybe throwing a coin down to him, maybe throwing some insults at him, maybe not even noticing him. And my guess is that Peter and John walked by this guy a million times, and they never even stopped. So what's different? He's been outside this temple for years. What changed in them? What makes this this time any different? They were full of and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And now they begin to see things differently. Now every single moment in their life they see as a way to demonstrate God's love and God's power. Things were different now. This beggar that that they passed so many times became a real person. He all of a sudden became important. He became a man that actually needs to know Jesus and needs the power of the Holy Spirit. And they have the ability to help him. But I need you to understand this. If Peter and John were not completely transformed by the Holy Spirit, they wouldn't have been able to see this man any differently than they've seen him in the past. They would have probably walked right by him just like they've done a million times before. If they didn't see this man any different, if they weren't any different, nothing would have changed. But because of the change inside of them, something was very different and something amazing happened. They offer him something that's far better than money. They offer him healing. See, if they didn't believe Jesus' words and they didn't believe they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they wouldn't have offered it because they fully understood that what they were offering this man and what they were getting ready to do was something far bigger than themselves. And what's really cool to note here is that other people noticed. Everybody noticed this. Everyone knew this guy had this disability, this handicap since birth. They probably saw people carrying him to the same spot in the temple for years. And the people outside, man, they were astonished when they saw him heal. I mean, healed. I mean, who wouldn't be, right? Of course they were. I would have been. You ever watch those illusionists or people doing the card tricks and you see they they do the card tricks or the floating illusions or whatever? How do people react? Even if you haven't seen that in person, you've at least seen it on TV, right? I'd have been tripping out if I saw this dude healed. Wouldn't you? 
I'd have been going crazy if I saw this. Of course, I'd have thought Peter and, and John were different. I'd have thought there was something special about them. I'd, I'd have wanted to know more about them. These guys became instant rock stars. I mean, think about it. They're going, America's got talent and start healing people. How would that, what, what happened? But one of my favorite verses here says, and seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. He didn't have to go to therapy. He didn't have to go work out with Roy. He didn't have to go to the doctor's appointment. He didn't have to, no, he was immediately healed. With a leap, he stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Man, I'm here to tell you, last year, I sat across the street in this hospital with a knee infection and I couldn't walk for two weeks. I know what happens to your muscles. I know what happens to your ligaments and your tendons when you don't lose them, use them at least for two weeks. You lose muscle tone. Your tendons and your ligaments become less elastic. Your body just doesn't work like it's supposed to. And that's after two weeks. Are you stinking kidding me? This guy was immediately healed. He leaped. Man, I couldn't walk for weeks. I had to go to therapy to learn how to walk up and down stairs. This dude was jumping right from the get. I'd have been the guy going, oh, did you see that? <laughs> I would have. But Peter, man, calm, cool, and collective Peter, says, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? See, now I'd have felt stupid. <laughs> if Peter would have just stopped right there, this would have been one of them drop them mics moments. Boom, see ya. But what's he say? Why does this thing that I've done, this amazing thing that I, why does this surprise you? But he didn't take credit for it. He didn't bask in the victory. He didn't say, yeah, give me them praise. He pointed right to Jesus. Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. They point to Jesus. Don't stare at us, stare at Jesus. I didn't do this. He did it. Look at him. Apply this to yourself. How quickly do we point people to Jesus? Is there anything in our lives, anything in your lives, that are different than people who don't follow Jesus? If people just see your actions on a daily basis, if they just see your social media posts, if they just see your text message or your phone conversation, or they just get to go through the history on your web browser, would there be any difference in anybody who doesn't follow Jesus? Would those things point to Jesus? 30 years ago, there was a lady by the name of Mama Maggie, who was a well-to-do Egyptian who loved traveling from Cairo to Europe with her husband for parties and shopping. In her mid-30s, she had a group of friends of hers from church. They decided to go to one of Cairo's garbage slums. About 60,000 people lived there, most of them were Christians. And they gathered there to, to sort garbage in some of the most appalling conditions. For just a few coins a day, I mean, it was barely enough to live off of. And as Mama Maggie spoke with these people, and they spoke with the parents and hugged the children, her life was changed and it was transformed. Ellen Vaughn wrote in her biography of Mama Maggie, Maggie fell in love with the privilege of being a part of their lives. She began visiting these, these slums every single day and founded a ministry called Stephen's Children. It was named after the first Christian martyr. Three decades later, St Stephen's Children now helps 33,000 children through home visits, camps, vocational training, school, and medical care. 
A group of teenagers from South Point went to a community center in southwest Detroit about 10 years ago and literally asked the director, how can we help? The director was a little rude and kind of put off at first and later told us that most people who say something like that, what they're asking is, will you give us free space to do what we want to do in your space? So many times we were told it was crazy and so many times that we were told it was pointless to keep going and cleaning off graffiti. And many times we were asked by a bunch of people, who, why a bunch of people who are mostly white and live in the suburbs are coming out here? Are you doing this to make yourself feel better? Are you doing this to try to tell us what to do? But look what transpired from that. A young adult woman just shared her story this past weekend with our middle school and high school students. She has chosen to trust in Jesus for what's best in her life. And she's pursuing purity until marriage. She believes in God's word. So she's doing everything she can to set up boundaries in her life to be obedient. She said the only reason she's doing this is because of Jesus. There's a young couple that I once did some premarital counseling for. And they had chosen purity until their wedding day. Which meant that they were living in two separate places until the day they got married. Which was added expense. And some of the people they worked with laughed at them and they told them they were crazy because they just couldn't fathom marrying somebody they hadn't lived with first. These things point us towards Jesus. Yes, the apostles were given their special ability to heal and these other gifts that maybe we don't have anymore. However, we've been given special access to pray in faith. Jesus is John's brother. James, John's brother, I'll get that out, says the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. And we've been given the opportunity to live obedient lives to be obedient to God, even though we didn't physically see the resurrected Jesus. See, Peter later goes on to say that we've been given this ability to live such good lives among the pagans so that maybe they could see our good deeds and praise God. So middle school, high school students, college students, young adults, single, single again, if you choose to obey Jesus and you choose to be pure and you choose to regard sex as a special gift reserved till marriage, would that stand out? Does that demonstrate God's power? Think about this. If you choose to make worship with believers a priority, if you choose to come to church every single week, not just on Christmas and Easter, if we as parents make knowing Jesus more of a priority than sports or grades, would that stand out? If you stop walking by your friends and coworkers and you do something kind and you pray with them, if you treat that person at the restaurant with kindness and respect regardless of how they treat you, if you, keep, if you help a family member who's struggling or an individual that's struggling out of pure kindness, you are demonstrating God's love. And in that moment, when you have their full attention, when they notice that there's something different about you and you're living for something way beyond yourselves, just like Peter and John did with the crowds, don't be shy. Don't just say, hey man, it just makes me feel good to do good things. In that moment, point to Jesus. And it's okay to say, hey man, let me be honest with you. I wouldn't have done nothing like this, but I met Jesus and he changed my life and I want you to experience the same thing. I, I want you to, to feel this. Don't take credit for what God's done in your life. All the good that we do is only because of the great work that he's done in us. And that's why our big idea is we now live to demonstrate God's power and love 
in order to point people to Jesus. See, we want to live lives that demonstrate God's love and, and point people to Jesus. And the only reason that we are able to do that is because we've met the resurrected Jesus and God did a miracle inside of us. See, Peter and John understood this, and we want you to understand this as well if you don't. We would never have chosen this life. We wouldn't have been able to, to live this kind of life on our own. The only way any of us would have even thought about it, desired it, chose it, was because God did something miraculous inside of us. See, God demonstrated his love. And we chose to believe Jesus. We chose to follow him. And if this isn't the same in your life, it needs to be. But Peter took a moment here to talk about Jesus. He took a moment here to tell them, you people crucified him. He came to save you. But he finished it up and he said, now fellow Israelites, I know that you acted out of ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold throughout the, all the prophets saying that the Messiah would suffer. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, when he was getting insults hurled at him and people spit on him, you know what he said? Father, forgive them for they don't realize what they're doing. And Peter explains here that that's out of ignorance. See, they might not have known who Jesus was. Maybe they'd heard of him, but they know now. And maybe, it, maybe it's the same for you here today. But Peter reminds us that there's one more thing, one more amazing reason to believe that Jesus is absolutely, positively who he said he was. And that's prophecy. In the Old Testament, there was about 300 prophecies that point to about 61 specific details about the Messiah. And they were all fulfilled by Jesus. Let me give you a couple examples. Almost 500 years before Jesus walked the face of the earth as a human being, Zechariah said the Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Matthew 26 says they gave him 30 pieces of silver. That's one. How about 1,000 years B.C.? 1,000 B.C. 1,000 years before Jesus would walk the face of the earth as a human. The book of Psalms says the Messiah would have his hands and feet pierced. Luke 23 says they came to a place called the skull and all three were crucified there. Jesus on the center cross and the two criminals on either side, two fulfilled. That's two out of more than 60 that he fulfilled. And notice they were written hundreds of years earlier by different people at different times. Do you know there was a mathematician by the name of Peter Stoner who had done some studies on prophecies and he calculated the odds against one person fulfilling just eight, just eight of the prophecies. And he said the number was astronomical. It was one in 10 to the 21st power. That's a whole lot of zeros. And we don't, we can never comprehend that many zeros. So to illustrate it, what he said was, I'm gonna give the following example. He said, first I want you to blanket the whole land mass of the earth with silver dollars. I want you to stack them 120 feet high. And secondly, I want you to specifically mark one of those silver dollars and bury it. Third, I want you to ask a person to travel the face of the earth and select that marked dollar while he's blindfolded. That's if they just fulfilled eight. The odds of one person fulfilling over 60 would be beyond all mathematical possibility. 
Listen, I'm not, I'm not here to get you caught up in the numbers. That's not what this message is about. But I want you to fully understand what Peter's doing here. Before today, before knowing Jesus or what he's done, you could claim ignorance. You can't do that anymore. Because you have seen and you have heard that he has fulfilled everything. Today, you can't claim ignorance anymore. You are accountable. When you walk out those doors, you are accountable today, whether you belong to him or not. And we see in this chapter a clear demonstration of how God works. He demonstrates himself. People are made aware and they're amazed. And in that moment, we can no longer claim ignorance. They can, however, choose to deny him. They have a choice, and so do you. Do you know there are parts of the world today that still have never heard the name Jesus? And even to this day, missionaries and churches talk about these miraculous things. These healings are speaking in languages that, that they've never learned before. But I need you to understand this. The point is not that you need to do something miraculous. It's that God is demonstrating who he is. It's our job to point to Jesus. And I know for a fact that there are some of you in here today, some people in this very auditorium, that have had moments when God has done something miraculous. He has done a miracle in your life. And for you, you can no longer claim ignorance. You can deny him, but you will not be denying him on the fact that you don't know. You will be denying him on the very premise that you do know him and you do know what he's done. You are accountable. However, there are some people in here who haven't heard who Jesus is. And maybe you don't realize the things that he's done. Or, man, I'm telling you, if that's you, then know this. Peter, John, myself, and a lot of other people in here want you to be aware of who he is. The man that was born into poverty. He grew up as a Jewish man. Became an amazing teacher. Claimed to be one with God. Claimed to be the only way to the Father. Claimed to be the way, the truth, and the light. He had never sinned, and he was handed over to be murdered on a cross for doing no wrong. He was literally beaten on multiple occasions. He was spit on. He was hung on a cross that he was literally nailed to for a crime we committed. And then he looked out at the crowd who was insulting him and spitting on him and laughing at him. That very crowd that he came to say, and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't realize what they're doing. And then Jesus died. And to double check that he was dead, somebody grabbed a spear A soldier grabbed a spear and they slammed it into his side just to make sure he was dead. And then he was buried in a tomb and left to rot. So they thought. Three days later, that man was alive. This man, Jesus, is the Messiah. He is God. He conquered sin. He conquered the grave. And what Peter said 2,000 years ago is just as true for you and me as it was then. He said, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And then he sent the Messiah, who had been pointed for you, even Jesus. 
Man, there are two groups of people in here today. The first are those who have been, have been saved, they've repented, they've been baptized. And you have received that promise of forgiveness. You have received eternal life. You've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And here is what I'd like to ask you today. Ask yourself, am I living in the power of the Holy Spirit? Am I letting the Holy Spirit change me? Are you being obedient to Jesus? Are you pointing people to him? Because that's how we respond to a living God, right? Allow him to demonstrate himself through you as you go into communities and you feed people, as you go into communities and you clothe people, as you go into your workplaces and you live differently. You live this obedient life. You speak truth. You show grace. You don't lie to gain influence. You don't gossip to hurt others. As you live that obedient life, you are a walking miracle. God has done something in you. You didn't do it. He did it. And now through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's producing these amazing fruits, these deeds in this new life. Don't be shy, man. Tell people. Tell them why you're not surprised that I trust the Bible. Tell them why you're not surprised that I value all human life. Tell them why you're not surprised that I don't watch porn. Tell them why you chose to stay pure before marriage. Tell them why you don't cheat on tests. Tell them why you don't lie to move up the, ca- the corporate ladder. God has raised Jesus from the dead and he has healed me and now I'm here leaping just like the guy in the beginning of this chapter. But I want you to ask yourself, do you see people and opportunities differently? Man, people like Mama Maggie, they serve people and demonstrate God's love. Who are you helping? When somebody at work gets sick, do you pray? When something bad happens in their life, do you pray? Do you ask them, hey, can I pray with you right now? And if you do, do you pray like you're full of the Holy Spirit? Or do you see people as nuisances or beggars that just need Jesus? The other group of people that are in here today are people who have not chosen to follow Jesus. They have not made a decision to believe that he is God, that he was born as a man, that he lived this perfect life, that he was murdered for a crime that he didn't commit to pay a penalty that we deserve, that he died and three days later God raised him from the dead. This is Jesus. And now that you've heard it, you can no longer claim ignorance. When you walk out of here, you are accountable. No excuses anymore. I don't care who you are. It is no longer what you believe. It is what you decide to do with that belief. What you decide to do with Jesus. Because you can't turn him into something he's not, man. You can't just say he's a good man. You can't just say he's a good teacher. You can't just say he's one of many ways to God. And you can't say that anything you do will be pleasing to God and that will get you to heaven. All you can do is choose to follow or deny Jesus. It's your choice. But I'm here to tell you, God will not force you. However, he does demonstrate to you that he is God and he loves you more than anybody on this earth ever will. So I ask you right here and right now, what will you do with Jesus? Father God, we love you so much and we are so grateful for you. 
And we thank you for demonstrating to us who you are. We thank you for becoming a man. We thank you for coming to show us what following you looks like. Thank you for demonstrating your power. Thank you for for offering that same power for us who believe in the Son. God, I'm praying that every single person in this room, before they leave this room, will know you. I pray that every single person in this room, before they leave, will have at least turned their life over to you if they haven't yet. I'm praying that they choose to trust you and that they will live obedient lives to follow you. Lord, we can't do this life on our own. You know I've tried. But through your Holy Spirit, you give us the power to overcome addiction, Lord. You give us the power to overcome sinful habits. You give us the power to overcome fear and doubt and temptation and everything we'll ever go through. You can give us the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome if we will just allow you to. I pray that we leave here today with the power of the Holy Spirit because it's the power of the Holy Spirit that changes lives and it changes families and it changes communities and it changes workplaces, Lord. And we want to win down wherever to you and it starts right here. Lord, fill this place with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.